Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the Up Next in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie at mission.org to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the Up Next in Commerce team. Welcome to Up Next in Commerce, the show that takes you to the front lines of what's happening in digital, retail, and beyond, with conversations from fast-growing startups to the Fortune 500 and everything in between. You'll get a glimpse into what's next. I'm your host, Stephanie Postles, the co-founder and CEO of Mission.org, and I'll be your guide through all the trends, innovations, and hot topics in the world of commerce. What are business leaders thinking about when they aren't winning at business? Family, travel, the latest TV show? Yes, yes, and maybe. But how about quirky business opportunities or little discussed financial trends or maybe even plant medicine benefits and alternative wellness? Mission Daily is back, baby, and our flagship podcast is better than ever. Mission Daily is the podcast for the business builder, the thoughtful marketer, the team manager, the blue-collar worker looking for new ways to think about life, finances, and health. This is for the people who want to break the status quo and laugh a little or a lot along the way. Join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we address the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't often talk about. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Hey there, and welcome to another episode of Up Next in Commerce. Joining me today is Derek Correa a branding and marketing veteran who currently is the president of Reserve Bar, the e-commerce leader in rare, luxury, and ultra-premium spirits. Derek, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me, Stephanie. Happy to be here. Same. So I feel like we just have to start with the obvious question because of your background. Like, what is your favorite drink of choice? Wow. You know, it's always, it's always changing. And one of the great things about this company is that we're all about exploration and discovery and, and trying new things. So I'm always trying things for the first time and tasting new products. And so it's constantly a moving target. But right now I'm probably, I'm probably pretty firmly in the bourbon area mm-hmm. and uh, drinking a lot, of, a lot of bourbons and enjoying them. Yep. I love bourbon. That's good. What's the most uh, expensive thing that you've tried? Huh. Well, it's probably the, uh, the Louis Trez Cognac. It's a beautiful bottle. And um, even the bottle itself is spectacular, uh, Crystal. It's, it's, it's a piece of artwork just the bottle alone. Wow. Um, that's a product that's probably around $4,000 oh for 750 ml. And the Jeez. cool thing about it is if you ever try it, um, I happen to have it for the first time on a cruise ship, actually. And even when you have just a one or two ounce pour, there's a whole experience associated with drinking it. They put white gloves on, they bring it out on a silver tray, they explain the whole history of Louis Trez and and when you're drinking something, you're drinking a bottle that's actually from decades and decades of distillations and an incredibly complex and an amazing product. Wow. Okay. One day, one day, I will try that. That, <laughs> that sounds epic. You have to. Let's jump into, you know, what is Reserve Bar? I see it on your background for anyone who can't see it says reservebar.com. And so I want to just get into like, what is Reserve Bar and tell me about your role there. Sure. So Reserve Bar itself, the reservebar.com platform is a, a place to go and explore, discover, learn about and buy 
mostly high-end luxury, super premium spirits, champagnes, and wines. So it was conceived to, to be a, a place to do that back when there weren't any, really, uh, in around 2013. And uh, the notion was, hey, people are buying all kinds of things online. Why shouldn't they be able to buy beverage alcohol online? And the answer that they, the founders quickly found out is because it's incredibly complicated to deal with the Byzantine state regulatory world. It's totally different than selling traditional CPG. So Reserve Bar was created to solve for that regulatory challenge and did so in a way where they connected with the brands themselves and sought to create a really optimal purchase experience. I mean, there's some retail experiences in this business that are terrific, but many of them are not. The store, you know, the brands spend a lot of money to to position their brand, to have a brand story, to make a great product and to have that be understood by the consumer, only to have them end up in a store and have them buy something else because they walk by a, a giant display of something on sale or the product's out of stock or or the staff there doesn't properly finish the storytelling in that last mile. So everything about Reserve Bar is to pull those brand educational experiences through in PDPs all the way through to checkout and preserve it and not to try to get you confused by saying you may also like this or that, but talk about the tasting notes, talk about the quality, talk about the distillation process, the yolk that's used, whatever it might be, along the way to building a cart. And for a long time, we did that with a shipping modality. So you would place an order and We'd usually ship that product within a day or so, and it would get to you in a couple of days. But I'm super excited. We just launched a, an on-demand capability. So now in a lot of uh, urban markets, when you go on our site, you can still shop that great curated collection. We don't have 150,000 products. We've curated it to, to the best of, so to speak. And in many instances, you can get that product delivered to you in about an hour. Yep. I tried it out. I was looking at the wines and seeing how quickly it could get delivered to my house here in Austin. And it was able to do it in under two hours. So that was impressive. I mean, what does it look like building up this business? Because to me, you're having to appeal to consumers like me who's on there and looking for, you know, what I want to drink and exploring around. Can I get it quickly? Or do I maybe I'm okay with a week? Then you also have to appeal to retailers. And I know on your website, it's like, we are a technology platform at the core which to me, I was like, oh, I don't know as a consumer if that connects with me, but definitely as a retailer, I'm like, oh, what can you give me? What data can you give me? So what does that look like behind the scenes building this B2B and B2C company? Yeah, it, it looks like a terribly hard and complex and challenging, to be honest with you. And we have a lot of people who day in and day out are, are constantly trying to solve for those complexities. So on the one hand, you've got what you think about is the front end on reservebar.com. We also acquired Minibar Delivery a year ago. So we have another platform that we run and own and operate that also has an app. And that's got a broader selection. And that's more for your everyday kind of purchase as opposed to Reserve Bar, which is the, the higher end stuff, the limited editions, the new products, that sort of thing. So the complexity is, is you, you identified it across the board, right? We have to have an elegant and amazing front end shopping experience that allows you to, to learn and engage and, and experience these products and build a cart and check out. We have to get those orders from that platform to a retailer in our network who can fulfill that product and properly map that product skew, the price point, the availability in that store. So there's a lot of technology at work to make sure that you're shopping products that are actually available. We actually get that availability and pricing in nanoseconds while you're shopping on the site. So you can see whether you can get it to you in an hour. And if not, 
uh, what the shipping options are. We work with the brands who actually want their products to be featured and merchandised. And a lot of that information we want the consumer to have, we have to get from the brands. We have to get their tasting notes. We get rich media from them, the master distillers talking about the product. So as you're having this journey online, you can lean as much into all of that education and information as you want. There's consumer ratings imported. Everything is about letting you sort of have a, a wonderful immersive shopping experience and, you know, ultimately get those products in a frictionless, convenient way. And to do that and work with all of those partners, we have to build that retailer network. Every one of those retail relationships is its own commercial agreement. And what's really great about this business is that we are truly partners to everyone. So unlike the channel conflict in some CPG businesses where if they want to sell direct, they got a bit of a kind of target and Walmart generally isn't happy about that because they're selling direct to the consumer and cutting them out. In our case, every bottle we sell is actually routed through the three-tier system and fulfilled by a licensed retailer. So we're helping retailers grow their business. We're helping brands improve you know, their depletions and their business success. We're helping make their media more efficient because we can actually help them track when they run a lot of different ad units, which are the ones that drive the most revenue. We have the insights as to who is actually buying these products. So we, we sort of sit in the middle of the consumer, the retailer, and the brand in, in a place that, you know, helps everybody uh, win, basically. Yeah. It's wild to me thinking like, was there ever like a chicken and the egg type of problem where you're like trying to get these retailers on board, but their technology is not there. And you're like, just trying to pull them onto this really large movement that maybe some of them like were not prepared for. Like, what does that look like? I mean, I'm thinking about these mom and pop liquor stores here in Austin that I'm like, if you guys were to go to them, be like, hey, get on our platform. I can only imagine what that conversation looks like. Yeah, you're absolutely right. Most of our business early on for years was built with the independents, the mom and pops as you're talking about. And, you know, some of them sort of saw the future and they got the incrementality of this business and they understood the challenge of standing up an e-commerce site on their own and what the, you know, the investment and the time it would take to manage that. And also the, the challenges of getting significant traffic to that site on a local basis. And so the storytell for us was basically say, look, we'll do all of the work. You sign the agreement. You don't really have to do a lot other than accept the orders and get them to the consumer and you get to drive business. So usually if you're knocking on somebody's door and you want to give them money, that's an easier conversation than when you're trying to sell somebody something and take their money. So, you know, it happened. There was sort of a groundswell over time that more and more retailers launched the network or joined the network rather. And then more recently, as we're really seeking to scale and we need to have a lot more nodes to be in the on-demand business, that's one of the reasons we acquired Minibar. They had a robust retail network. They were doing on-demand. They had some tech stack components that already integrated with retailer POS. So that was an accelerant to our scale. And now we're very much focused on chains. You know, it's, it's really not much more work to bring on a regional chain that has 30 stores than it is to bring on a one-store independent. Um, and that includes chains across, you know, BevAlk, PurePlay, as well as grocery and, and drug and convenience and big box and other chains that carry BevAlk assortments. So that's, you know, the game changer that we're underway with right now, which will rapidly accelerate not just our retail footprint, but product availability. Those chains tend to have, in a lot of instances, broader product assortments 
uh, more likely have product than stock. So that's a better experience for the consumer. Got it. How do you think about who to route the sale to? Because to me, I could imagine being like, hey, I want that sale. Don't route it to that big chain. Of course, they always have it. But I was with you guys first. Like, how do you know or even decide like which one should get the sale? Yeah. So the retailers in our network have to send a few things to us. They have to send us a feed of their inventory and what they have in stock. They have to send us the prices for those products. And then they actually have to perform in the ways that we can measure. So we know, for instance, when they actually accept an order from the time they receive it, when they ship that order or when they put it in a DSP card to get to you or they drive their own driver. So we have certain SLAs that we can measure as well to make sure that the retailers we're giving orders to meet our customer service expectations for our consumers. And so those things are coming our way. And then when you're shopping on the site, the moment that you're looking at a product on a collection page or you're looking at a PDP of a product, we, when we know your address, which we have to, to, to deliver to you, can, there's something called the retailer selection algorithm. And basically, it's looking to see who can get this product to this person in an hour. Do they have the product in stock? Do they meet our SLAs? Do they have the best price? That's the one that will then appear in the PDP with their price point and as the retailer fulfilling that order. Got it. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. And am I understanding correct that you guys are kind of like a layer on top of like the three tier system? Because I mean, when I'm thinking back, I had Anheuser-Busch on the show and they talked about, you know, they don't really get to know their customers that well because of that system and they would sell swag and stuff on their website, but it was really hard for them to get that one-to-one relationship. And then I look at you guys and it seems like you're able to get that without having to be in the actual legal part of the three-tier system anyways, where you like actually can't talk to the customer. Is that the right way of thinking about it? (laughs) Well, it is. So the retailers in this business do interact with the customers. But for the most part, when you think about a brick or mortar sale, they actually don't. They may know their name. They may say, hey, Stephanie, and I know your name when you shop my store, but I don't know your address. I don't know your demographics. I don't have that in-depth information. So that is one of the really powerful aspects of e-commerce is that we actually get what the PII or the personally identifiable information of everybody that buys on the platform. And that information informs our marketing efficiency and effectiveness, but it also creates data that is valuable to the brands. So we can actually tell them who is buying their product and where and what other products do they buy? What's in the cart? How can they conquest within the, the category or particular other brands that they're trying to steal share from? And so that is, a, you know, the data and analytics and business intelligence side of our business is an important one. And that even includes, you know, they don't know when their product is out of stock. That's one of the things that is universally loathed in this business. I spend all the money to get a consumer intention to buy my brand. They go to the store, they go in, they're ready to buy, and my product is out of stock. That is like the ultimate fail in the business. So even our technology and the way we match the consumer with a place that has the product and can get it to them even helps the avoidance of those out-of-stock situations. And we work with our retailers on the products that we sell you know, to, to avoid those out-of-stock situations because we can kind of build predictive models that say, hey, you should order another case of this now because in three days, you're likely to otherwise be out of it. And then by the time you ordered it from the distributor and got it, we might have a week of that product out-of-stock. So e-commerce is its own thing, but it is also a tool for the brands and the retailers and all of our partners to improve their business in totality. Yeah. I mean, 
to me, what I'm hearing is like so many, many businesses inside of this larger business, like so many different things that you all have to think about. How do you stay on top of an industry that you guys are paving the path forward in? Like, there's no one else you can look at. You don't have someone you can be like, oh, they did it this way. Let's try that. I mean, you guys are the ones doing it. So how are you leading the company without much information? Yeah, appreciate the credit for that. And that is often the case. You know, we are innovators and pioneers and a lot of the things that become, you know, I like to think of it Then when I talk to our teams, I, I remind everybody, you know, five or 10 years from now, Nobody's going to remember a time when you couldn't just buy alcohol this seamlessly and conveniently, and we're helping to create that. There are other companies in this space, and a lot of them are wonderful innovators as well. So sometimes we are, you know, learning from 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 the others and saying, hey, you know what, that's an opportunity. What's going to be our angle for that one? But for the most part, we're we're focused on the consumer, the the suppliers, and our brand partners and our retail partners, and how do we create you know, new technologies, new customer experiences, new ways of reducing the friction in beverage alcohol where all of those constituents win. So it's a daily endeavor. Sometimes we get it right and it's amazing. Sometimes we get it wrong and we try to fix it. And sometimes we get it wrong and we were just wrong. And so, you know, and all of those are okay when you're, when you're a pioneer. You mentioned something and it is true. When you think about our business, you have the owned and operated platforms that you can think of as e-commerce platforms or minibar delivery as a marketplace. We have a business intelligence and robust data analytics business. We have a performance marketing business. You know, we have a data layer of audiences and targeting schema that we can add to the marketing that the brands do, as well as a means of actually tracking that all the way through depletion, which has become problematic since iOS 14 for a lot of traditional ad methods. So we can help brands optimize their media. We actually have virtual slotting and merchandising work, sort of like a publishing website almost, like companies will pay to have their product featured on various sections of our site or to be in our cocktail lounge. So there's a a media platform business. And then we're a SaaS business. We actually, one of the most exciting things we've been doing lately is bringing the cart off of our site to other sites where it makes sense to have commerce. So you were talking before, you know, Jack Daniels or Glenn Livid or, you know, Johnny Walker can't sell a bottle to the consumer, but we can enable them to do so with our technology on their site that enables them when they have an engaged person visiting that site to add to cart and to check out and feel like they're buying it from the brand. But that's actually our technology at work routing ah. that order to a licensed retailer. You're like white labeling your tech behind the scenes. Do they know it's you guys or do you not care if they know how they're checking out? They, they, well, the consumer knows it has to be disclosed that that is being powered by Reserve Bar technology. And they also understand the retailer that's fulfilling that. But it's just another example of you know what we call e-commerce everywhere. And how do we make every logical moment shoppable? Does it make more sense if I'm on a brand site to see the products there and build a card and check out right there or to click away and to have to go to another store to build a card and check out? It's just easier to do it there. And that's the same thing we're doing with publishing content. We call it affiliate 2.0. But if you read the classic listicle of here's seven great recipes to enjoy this fall, the, the yesteryear, that would be an affiliate link. And you would click away from that article on the third thing, and then you'd be on some other site. And you were like, wait a second, where am I? And what am I doing? Doesn't it make more sense if that third cocktail sounds great, the the thumbnail is right there and add to cart action, 
and you can read the whole article and maybe you've built a cart with three of those seven that sound good to you. And then you can read whatever else you're there for from a content perspective and check out right on that site powered by our technology. So these are all of the ways that we're trying to, like I said, bring the cart to the logical moment and make it simpler. Yeah. I would love to know how you started thinking about that. How did you come up with this e-commerce everywhere? Yeah. So when you're building a, a platform site like a reservebar.com, one of the biggest expenses you have as a business is how do you get people to come to the site to build a card and check out, right? It's a, that's what we call CAC, customer acquisition cost. And then the second important you know, KPI for the business is LTV. I got to spend money to get somebody here, give them a great experience, have them buy, and I get a customer conversion. And then how do I get them to keep coming back because that experience is great? I engage them with great content. I make them feel special and all of those kinds of things. So we we spent a lot of time doing that. And then we started to figure out, well, what are other ways that we can attract traffic to our site that don't cost us as much, doesn't cost us as much money, right? And we started realizing a lot of the brands are spending money and they don't have, they have what they call a dead end or they they put them out into the ether after you see an ad to find a place to buy it. And so we started partnering with them to say, why don't you send your traffic to your brand's collections or PDP on our site. Because now you know that you sent them somewhere straight from that ad that they could buy. And so we can you know, subsidize some of your advertising. We can drive a one or two times or even three times return on ad spend. And in some instances, you're self-liquidating your advertising with a known sale of your product. So that was sort of the first step there. And then once we realized, you know, we thought about, wait, what are all of the ways that we could bring that cart capability away from our site to a moment. And so that's when we started powering the brand sites. That's when we started talking to publishers about that. That's when we started thinking about all the money spent on events and sponsorships. You know, a brand spends a whole bunch of money at Coachella and they pay, then they pay a fortune for people to sample you their cocktail. And in that moment, the concept is they're going to love this cocktail in my brand and then they're going to go buy it at retail. But right one second after they tried it, you know, they're back at stage three watching their favorite brand. And they probably, even if they wanted to remember, they forgot. So that's when we started bringing QR codes and, you know, uh, uh, an experience to content to commerce and experience to commerce, right? In that moment, give them a QR code to say, hey, if you buy this right now, shoot this QR code. We'll send you the recipe for the cocktail and you can save 10% and buy it right now. We'll ship it to your house. They'll be there in a couple of days. You've, that, you've closed that moment of that greatest intent before the half-life degrades it. So we are just constantly thinking about what's next. How do we make video shoppable? How do we do partnerships where, hey, somebody's on a website buying you know, barbecue you know, stuff. What goes good with barbecue? Well, you know, beer and, and, and alcohol. So let's let them add that to the card there. Somebody's sending somebody flowers. Well, is flowers and a nice bottle of wine an even better gift? Let's partner there to enable commerce. So, you know, it was a notion that we thought of and it just never ends. The hardest thing for us now is, is prioritizing it all. There's a stereotype of the average American worker whose life goes something like this. Go to work, come home, consume some kind of entertainment, go to sleep, lather, rinse, repeat. If you're listening to this ad then I know that that life does not resonate with you. For the truly disruptive business leader, 
Work doesn't stay at the office, and unwinding doesn't mean watching TV at night every single night. This is why we've created Mission Daily, a podcast that discusses the trends, habits, and ideas that thoughtful business people are contemplating every day. From quirky business opportunities to interesting investment ideas to the latest research in health and exercise and alternative medicine and maybe even plant medicine. Who knows where we're going to go, but Mission Daily covers it all. We're releasing new episodes every weekday. So join me, Stephanie Postles, and my co-host, Albert Chow, as we discuss the subjects, thoughts, and trends that business leaders think about but don't talk about. Publicly, that is. Break the status quo. Tune into Mission Daily wherever you listen to your podcasts. See you there. Is there ever a point that you all worried about cannibalizing your main sites? Because to me, if I'm Jack Daniels, I'm like, well, if I can have Reserve Bar's checkout on my website, why would I send it to their marketplace in a way that also shows my competitors? Like, Did you worry that maybe you would send all the traffic away from your site and then kind of lose access to that data and insights that you were getting? Yeah. So yes. And not only do we worry about it, it actually happens. It, it, it does happen. So once a brand has the ability to drive traffic to their own site, and they benefit from being able to optimize their media, from building and now they know who their customer is. They can do primary research. They can append data from Epsilon or other sources to understand lifestyle and all of this kind of rich stuff that informs them, not just from an e-commerce perspective, but the totality of their business. They absolutely end up sending less traffic to our site. But the way we think about that is that, you know, the brand is winning and they're our partners. The consumer is winning. It's logical when you're, if you've spent the time to go visit a spirits website, I mean, yeah, you're, you're ready. You're pretty engaged. That should be the moment that you might want to buy something when you learn about it. Right. So the, the consumer is winning. Our brand partners winning. Ultimately, all of those transactions still process through our platform. So we do derive the benefit of that GMV for our business. And, you know, in the end, we, we are also getting, you know, SaaS fees and fees for standing up and maintaining that technology for them. So we may have fewer transactions happening on our site and we give up that PII to our brand partner. But in the end, it's strategic for us from a partnership perspective, as well as overall revenue. So, I mean, when you're talking about, you know, helping all these other brands and companies with their technology, you guys have a whole entire technology platform. Like, is there a tech provider that you are leaning towards or that you're always using? Because to me, you're like a consultant in a way, like going to all these companies, all these brands and be like, let me help you and you can work with us. I mean, we're already leading the way. Like, what are you guys using? So our original site was built on a stack that had uh, Shopify as the ECP and Logic Brokers as the OMS or order management system. And that was a great solution for us. It was um, relatively, uh, it was, uh, nothing's easy. Again, I want to make sure. And certainly if any of our team members ever watch this, I know how hard everything is. But those two things sort of worked nicely together when we were in a shipping modality and as we were in the early stages of our scale up. For the last year, we've been working on a replatform that we literally just launched in the beginning of October that enables on-demand, has a lot of new and enhanced customer journeys, little enhancements like when you send somebody a gift, you can record a video gift message oh, cool. that the person will get along with the gift. Like every one of these little touches, we've launched branded gift cards. So now if you wanted to give somebody, instead of just giving a reserve bar gift card, you know, if I know that you love Lagavulin scotch, 
I can send you a Lagavulin gift card. And isn't that a nicer gift because it's expressing me knowing your preferences. And now when you come to the website, you can only use that gift card to buy that product on our platform. So the brands are winning when they're branded cards. So all of these little enhancements required us to go to a new platform. And so we migrated our ECP to, to SFCC, Salesforce Commerce Cloud. And that is working with a number of the tech stack components that we acquired from Minibar, who did an amazing job of engineering a lot of the really complex integrations between our platform and the retailer POS. And, you know, many, many, many lines of bespoke code and other SaaS plug and play, you know, like there's certain things that it just makes sense to use an existing SaaS for like managing tax or managing, you know, geolocation and things like that. But to make all of these things work, there's an extraordinary amount of, of bespoke code in the midst of that. And it's been over a year and we're just so excited to actually have it live in the market. Oh, that's amazing. Okay, now I'm thinking about all this growth and you guys are replatforming, you're doing all these things. What about international? Have you thought about exploring international markets? Or are you like, that's too much? The laws are already too much here in the US. We're not going to even think about that yet. Yeah. So, you know, you can't not think about international when you're growing a business. And I think that the reason why it's not a short term objective, quite frankly, is because it's the inverse of what you said. Overcoming the, the U.S. regulatory system, which is by far the most complex, was an incredibly long and expensive journey to build all of that technology infrastructure, those retail and brand relationships. And it's relatively unique. And I don't want to say it's a moat because there are other companies in this industry, and I'm sure there'll be more as it continues to grow. But we are so advantaged in the United States from what we've built. And e-commerce is in such, an, it's truly in its infancy as a percentage of all BevAlk or even off-premise BevAlk, that there's just a tremendous amount of opportunity at hand right here in the States. And when you go abroad, whether you look at you know Europe or South America or, or uh, the Middle East or Asia, because it's less restrictive there, the business is already more mature. There are already a lot more companies doing e-commerce. There's big companies, you know, some of the largest you know grocery chains throughout Europe, you know, big platforms like Alibaba and so forth. So it's actually harder to compete over there. I think what's most logical to happen at some point is maybe there's. Uh, there's a merger strategic alliance between some of those players abroad where some of the technology and the fancy things we've built enhance the experience or the data or business intelligence of a business that they already have there. And so we may become a global company through something like that. But right now, there's just, there's just too much opportunity here in the States. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I think about you know, the markets abroad, I think about frictionless for a lot of them have been around in a lot of different shopping modalities that, you know, we haven't even been able to tap into until recently. Have you ever maybe studied other markets to kind of see how they buy and then take back any insights back into what you're building at Reserve Bar? Yeah, so we do. I, I wouldn't say, I mean, if I was to say we were studying it, I think I would, that would be an overstatement. We're, I wish we had time to study. Um, it's sort of like college. I didn't really study back then either. But what we are doing is, you know, we're always learning from our partners and certainly virtually all of the brands that we partner with, except for some domestic only, are, are global companies and they are sharing, you know, their insights and innovations across the pond, so to speak. And so we do learn from them and when viable, we, 
we try to implement those here in the States. So that is the case. But to be honest with you, we're still learning so much just about our business here. And one of the things that really makes this special and it's challenging and it requires caution is that I sort of call it the ultimate frenemy business. You know, all of these different partners, we also compete with. The retailers are our partners, but many of those retailers also have e-commerce and we compete with them. The DSPs that deliver the products and drive the products from the retailers to the consumer also offer beverage alcohol on their own apps and platforms. So we're both partners and we compete with them. So there's just so much to learn from everybody who is in the business here and this constant you know, innovation that, that's happening that we are focused here, but we're always listening to, to what our supplier partners have to say about overseas. Yeah, got it. When you think about the future, like to me, I hear, or what I'm going to interpret it as like a moat that you've built because of all these partners that you have. And like once you saturate the market there, it's pretty hard to come in and just rebuild what you all have. But what, what kind of risks do you see coming in your industry? Or like, what do you think maybe could happen over the coming five years that you're like looking into? Yeah, the risks are always the risk of any business, which is, you know, we have to attract the, the best talent. We have to execute. Um, we've got no shortage of, of vision and ideas and things that I, I think are smart. And my guess is that, you know, somewhere else, a lot of other companies are thinking about the same things, whether they're already in the business or it's two young people, you know, in their garage tinkering and thinking about borrowing 10000 from their grandma to, to start a business, right? This is, it's a fast growing business. It's an attractive and cool business to be in. And so it will continue to attract more people competing in it, more talent coming to it, and that some of that talent going to our competitors. So I, I know this sounds sort of like very basic, but the, the biggest threat I worry about is, is us doing a great job of finding and retaining the best people and bringing to, bringing to life the things that we think are going to be the drivers. Then there's more existential threats of some of the companies in this space are huge. And some of the ones that we partner with are way bigger than us. And how do we make sure that we don't, you know, accidentally, um, you know, help somebody who we're partnered with ultimately destroy us? There's all those kinds of, of existential threats that, you know, if you let them, can keep you up at night all the time. Yep. Yeah, I hear the talent piece, of course. That's like a theme that comes up on the show all the time of how to, you know, attract and retain the best talent. How do you think about building the culture within the company? Because like you said, it's very fast paced. You guys are just trying things, breaking things like and being okay with, you know, maybe things not working out. Like, what does that look like creating a culture around that? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, it, it's when you're at the stage of growth that we are, that's inherently a company that that's in a grind. We haven't taken massive amounts of capital and and have the ability to spend that sort of willy nilly and, you know, buy culture so to speak, with, you know, either huge compensation packages or whatever, video games and ping pong and, you know, cool experiential stuff happening all the time and doing employees laundry and ping pong. We don't have the money for that. Uh, and quite frankly, we're, you know, we hired 100 people in 2021. Uh, and very few of them were where our headquarters is in Ridgefield, Connecticut. It was, uh, we wouldn't have been able to hire as many talented people if we didn't open it up to hiring across the country. You know, and, and COVID was an enabler for that, for sure. But, you know, in retrospect, that's the best thing that happened to us because the labor, you know, 
there's it's just hard when you're hiring from a single labor market and it's not a diverse labor market either it's we've been able to be much more successful at hiring people of color and by hiring all over the country so all of those benefits that come from having a distributed workforce people getting to work from home getting 5 to 15 hours a week of their life back from commuting we have unlimited paid time off people have tremendous flexibility as to when and how they work they have clear goals and deliverables but you know flexibility for for their children or things that they're passionate about or whatever it is so we have all of that we are in the beverage alcohol business which you know i think it's harder to create a fun culture in some businesses that just aren't innately fun you know we have happy hours we we give all of our employees a stipend to buy and try the new products on our platform um we're constantly you know learning all of us about this industry and and that's part of a good work experience but honestly it it's hard and i and i we have to do a better job because you know a lot of people are working a lot of hours and you know when my generation grew up that was kind of par for the course in general or certainly when you join an entrepreneurial company in a rapid growth phase but we're finding as a lot of companies are you know a lot of younger people they're not about that they don't they don't want to do that as much as they love the company and what we're doing they just have a totally different perspective around what it means to work and what it means to have a life and so we're trying to figure out both that culture and work balance thing all the time Okay, so I want to hear the last thing I'd like to ask is what are you most excited about over the coming? I'm just going to give you a year because you guys are moving and growing so quickly. What are you looking forward to over this coming year? Well, you know, for sure the 15 or 20 new features and functions and and technology things that we've been working on coming to coming to light and becoming real and many partnerships like we have so many incredible partnerships that we're in the midst of developing now and and every one of them is amazing and is going to be game changing and I don't mean to overstate that I really feel that way so all of those things for sure I do think that shoppable video to me is a huge opportunity we're way behind McKinsey you know thinks that China is going to do 425 billion dollars of commerce on mostly on mobile phones from watching videos and a tremendous amount of that is micro influencer and and you know peer to peer type stuff as opposed to you know massive broadcast shows online so that that behavior just makes a lot of sense and so i think that's coming to the states it's starting we're working on some of those kinds of things we do you know virtual live tastings all host you know uh, master distillers or celebrity founders of brands and and broadcast that that should just be while you're watching that you should be able to buy from it and we we benefit from being in a category with high engagement i mean this is a, beverage alcohol brands are extrinsic brands you know you are what you drink they think a lot about the brands that that they attach themselves to and and that they enjoy and that resonate with them and that communicate to others who they are and those are exactly the kinds of products that you know that the consumers will consume video and it's only logical if i'm watching video because i'm learning about brands i'm discovering new products i'm going deep on learning about how scotch is made because i want to because that matters to me then all of that being able to then buy from that during that experience right from my phone while i'm watching those videos just makes now we're not going to do 425 billion dollars next year 
But you know, if we do if we do a small fraction of that, that's a meaningful chunk of business, and I think it's going to happen. Mm, super exciting. Okay, well, Derek, this has been awesome. I can't wait to try out all the things behind you, especially that four thousand dollar bottle. Let me know when that hits my <laughs> mailbox. But until then, uh, where can people learn more about you and Reserve Bar? Yeah. So thanks, Stephen. We should figure out how to have a drink together. I know. Come here to Austin. We do in-persons. By the time this airs, it'll already happen. But like tomorrow, we're doing a uh, a live tasting with Nick Offerman uh, of the Lagavulin Scotch, which, okay. you know, he's a partner in that business and super passionate about Scotch. So that kind of stuff is just Ooh. so fun. So yep. yeah, if you want to learn more about the business, you can visit reservebar.com, also minibardelivery.com. Uh, by the time this comes out, we may have launched another site we're working on called Get Stocked. And GetStocked.com will be your place for RTDs, craft beers, hard beverages, and that section of the market, similar to Reserve Bar, curated, the best products, a lot of information to help you make the right decision and the, and the convenience of getting it you know, on demand in an hour. Awesome. Thank you, Derek. Thanks, Stephanie. Hey listeners, thanks for tuning into this episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. It helps spread the word and I would greatly appreciate it. See you next time. Thank you for checking out another epic hour of business insights and inspiration on the Up Next in Commerce podcast. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in partnering with us to bring your brand to a growing audience of e-commerce experts, reach out to me at stephanie at mission.org to get the conversation started.